This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. chapter 5. We're going to start at verse number 1. I'm going to read through verse number 9. Uh, we'll spend the majority of our time here today in verse number 9. Therefore being justified, there, there's that word again, that word uh, justified means declared righteous. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. As we take a look at this idea of being justified, the word justified is a legal term. Uh, basically, when it comes to guilt versus innocence, uh, that's the idea behind this. If you and I were being tried in a courtroom of whether or not you and I have been good people or not, uh, the Bible says that all fall short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one. And so when it comes to keeping God's law, God's law has already declared us guilty, and our conscience has confirmed God's verdict. So you and I have broken God's law. There's no uh, ifs, ands, or buts about that. You and I, on trial, have been found guilty of violating God's law. Now, which one of God's law? It doesn't really matter because the book of James tells us if any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. Whether you've told the white lie or you've been a serial murderer, uh, you have have been declared guilty before God. Now, here's the interesting thing about God. Our trial before God, we're automatically confirmed guilty before we start. He said, is there a presumption of innocence? No, no, no. This isn't the American justice system. This is God's justice system. And there is an automatic presumption of guilt, believe it or not. Uh, You and I have sinned. The Bible says this. It goes so far as to say this. That we come forth from our mother's womb speaking lies. If you've ever had a child before, you know exactly what that means, right? Uh, you have this beautiful baby uh, who is just so sweet, so so cuddly, so loving, uh, and you take really good care of it, and you feed it, and you change its clothes, and you give it a bath, and you make sure it gets a nap time in, and things along those lines. But yet, this small bundle of paganism continues to tell lies about you. It screams and cries, despite the fact that it's been changed, it's eaten, it's just woken up from a nap, it still continues to cry, even when nothing's wrong, because it is a small pagan liar. That's what it is. And so that's what the Bible says when we come forth from our mother's womb speaking lies, because 
Even a baby is self-centered. We don't have to teach children, hey, uh, take care of yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. Uh, hey, steal toys and say, mine. We don't have to teach our kids to do that because they're automatically pre-programmed from the factory to be selfish, right? That pre-programming is what we call our sin nature. Uh, you and I can't run from that however we try. The world has tried to create different programs and plans and mechanisms and principles and ideas that we can adopt to try to mitigate the consequences of our sinful nature. For example, there's a celebrity couple that uh, divorced several years ago. And instead of uh, their public statement that they put out through their PR uh, people, instead of saying that they were getting a divorce, they said that they were going through a mutual uncoupling. It's just like, I think that means divorce. But, but, but again, we don't want to say divorce because that's a negative term. And so again, we'll, we'll try to mitigate the negative fallout of the consequences of our sinful nature. Calling it what the Bible calls it. The Bible calls it sin. Well, can we make an appeal? Absolutely not under no circumstances whatsoever. Get this. This is really important. If God allowed you to appeal his decision, that would leave the door cracked that God had somehow made a mistake somewhere. Right. You get that? And so it's like God's judgment is final. You, you don't, you're, you've been declared guilty. And here's the worst part about it. You already know that you're guilty. The Bible tells us in uh, Romans chapter 3, verse number 19. Now we know that what things soever the law, God's rules, says, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. That all the mouths may be stopped. In other words, if you think you have a reason why it was okay for you to break God's law, God's basically putting his finger over your mouth and saying, uh-uh, quiet. Your mouth may be stopped. You got, you got no excuse whatsoever that what? That all the world might be guilty before God. And so again, you and I have been declared guilty. Get this. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. Nobody's going to be declared right that they, but he is a with no consequences. And so God must maintain his justice. And so the, uh, the Jews actually received God's law. Uh, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve received God's law. And God had one rule and one rule only. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And so Adam and Eve ate. That was their rebellion against God. And so from the very beginning, whatever rules God had, they were rebelling against them. And because of that, you and I now ha uh, have received Adam's sin nature uh, through our family lineage. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that later in chapter number five here. We received that sin nature, and, and then God, through Moses, gave the Jews the beginning of the law, which was the Ten Commandments. And so uh, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, he receives the Ten Commandments, he's with God for 40 days, 40 nights, uh, and he comes back down, and the children of Israel have already rebelled against God. God had, first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. Already they've broken the first commandment. Already. And he's like, what is going on here? And they said, oh, while you were gone, we took off our earrings and we threw them in the, the fire. And this golden calf ar arrived out of nothing. And we says, oh, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. 
And Moses is furious, and he takes the tablets of stone, which he's just gotten from God, and he throws them down and breaks them. He's like, great, God gave me ten rules, and now I can't even remember because you made me break these. Like, what the world? And so God gave him the Ten Commandments again, and so that was the beginning of God's rules. Now, you and I, if we only had Ten Commandments to, to obey in our lifetime, we could not even keep ten of them. But believe it or not, the Bible's full of, of hundreds and thousands of commands to you and I, and there's no way in the world that you and I could keep all of them, and that's Okay. Because we don't have to keep them because Jesus kept them perfectly. So, you and I have received God's law through the word of God. You say, well, what if I didn't have the Bible? Before we had the law in written form, God had already written his law upon our hearts. So again, Romans chapter 2, verse number 14, for when the Gentiles, that's those of us who are not Jews, which have not the law, they didn't have the Ten Commandments or the book of Leviticus or Deuteronomy, When those people who don't have God's law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. In other words, they don't have a law, but they have a moral code that they keep of themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So what that means is that even societies that don't have a copy of the Word of God, they already have a semblance of right and wrong from a moral perspective because God's written His law on their hearts. You take any society, again, they can be completely devoid of God and completely given over to paganism. They understand that taking a life is a very, very serious offense. None of them agree to just being able to take another man's wife and do with with her what you want. They recognize that that's wrong. They recognize that you can't just take someone else's property and make it for yours just because you want it. They understand the morality of God's law is, is moral because God's written it upon their hearts. And so the Bible tells us that there's nobody that doesn't believe in God because God's revealed himself unto all men so that they are without excuse. And so you and I, when we break God's law, we feel crummy for it because God's written his law on our hearts and our conscience, it says here, will either accuse us and show us that we've been wrong or else excuse us and show us that we're actually on the right side of it. So God has given you and I the gift of a a conscience to be able to uh, follow our moral compass. Now, when our moral compass gets broken, uh, when we sometimes uh, purposely rebel against uh, our conscience or rebel against the word of God, that's when we fall into problems. But we can't say that we didn't know. And you and I, in God's courtroom, the evidence has been presented and you and I are guilty as charged. Now, the problem with that is the sentence is already predetermined as well. And so it's not a matter of like, okay, God's going to go back and, and deliberate. He's going to talk with uh, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and figure out what they're going to do with this message you made. And no, no, no. God has already outlined his punishment for your sins. It's death. And you might say, well, I don't know that I've necessarily done anything worthy of death. I think if we went back throughout your entire lifetime and counted up every time you violated God's law, it's not going to be in the, the, the dozens of times it's probably going to be in the tens of thousands of times. So again, we're not talking about this one thing that you did that now God's going to put you to death for, although he would. pattern of sin against God that's caused you and I to, to be just a physical death. We're all going to die one day, but there's a second death that's coming after that. Because when we die physically, it's appointed unto man once to die after that, the judgment. 
We'll stand before a holy God, and the Bible says we'll be judged according to our works. Now, it doesn't mean there's a scale up there that weighs your good versus your bad. It means what did you do with Jesus Christ? And so if we get to heaven and say, hey, God, I was a good person. I tried to do my best. I went to church. I was super religious. Uh, I, I give money to the poor. I help people out wherever I can. I, I mean, I have a truck, and I even help my neighbor move their couch one time. I mean, does that get something? God's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Like, I don't even know who you are. Your name is not in the book of life. You didn't know my son. You've got to go. And the only place that you and I can go to pay for our sins is a place called hell that burns with real fire for all of eternity. There's no second chances. There's no getting out. It's a real place. And God doesn't want any of us to go there. He, he didn't, didn't, God gets no delight in anyone spending eternity separated from him. Believe it or not, he actually loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place. For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so you can die or someone else can die in your place. But there's a catch. I can't pay for your sins because I have my own sin that must be paid for. You can't pay for mine because you have your own sin that has to be paid for. There has to be someone who can pay for our sins that owes God nothing because they've never sinned. And there's only one person who has ever fit the bill for that, and his name is Jesus. And so God, get this, sent his son Jesus to die in our place on the cross. It's the whole reason Jesus came to this earth was to die for our sins. And Jesus was crucified on the cross. He made payment for my sin and yours. I was supposed to die. Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished. Jesus was punished in my place. I was supposed to receive the wrath of God. Jesus received the wrath of God in my place. And he paid my sin debt in full. But, here's the most important caveat. You have to believe that and receive it for yourself. I, I can't do it for you. I can't pray a prayer over you so that you go to heaven one day. I, I, can't, I can only lead you to the one that can save your soul, and his name's Jesus, but you have to believe and receive. For every person, there must be a time, date, place in your life where you've been saved, where you've been born again. There has to be a time in your life where you know for sure that you've received Jesus Christ as forgiveness of sins and have chosen to follow him with your life. It's called being saved or born again. I was saved when I was a nine-year-old boy in my, my bedroom on a Sunday morning. I haven't always walked with Jesus my whole life. That's a totally different thing. But the day that I received Jesus and received forgiveness of my sins was a nine-year-old boy. And the blood of Jesus was applied to my sin account and washed it away like it never existed. And that payment that was made for that nine-year-old boy is still in effect today for a 46-year-old man. I don't need to be born again again. I don't have to be saved a second, third, fourth time. I don't have to rededicate my life to make sure that, that that blood covers my sins. My sins are forgiven once and for all. And so if there's never been a time, a day, a place in your life where you've been born again, it's not a matter of joining a church or doing religious things or getting baptized. It's about believing with every fiber of your being and confessing to, to God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. And the Bible says if you do that, you'll be saved in a split second. Well, don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to walk an aisle. Don't have to talk to a pastor. You don't have to talk to a pastor. <laughs> I, I, I talked to several people. When did you get saved? You know, I was in the shower one day, and I was uh, just thinking about my life, and I decided to confess my sin to God and follow him with my life. 
in the shower. How about that? Can you get saved in the shower? Absolutely. I don't think that water counts as a baptism, but just be, be clear on that, okay? You still, you still need to get scripturally baptized, but uh, it, again, it's not a matter of walking an aisle or anything like that, or, or maybe, maybe they'll give me a chance, or I want to go to a, you know, a, a, a crusade where I can go to a stadium and walk down to the field and, and get saved there. You don't have to do any of that. You can save your seat right now while I'm preaching. You have to believe and you have to receive. Once you did that, man, everything in your life changes from that point forward. And so when we take a look at verse number eight in our text here, Beautiful verse, like I probably quote this at least, you know, every other Sunday. But God commendeth, Romans 5, 8, the word commendeth means demonstrates in a present tense. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loved you so much, so much, and he demonstrates that love for you. Again, I love that song we sang this morning, Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. God is reaching out for you. He's reaching out for I. He's re reaching out to mankind to draw us to himself because of his overwhelming love for us. But get this. Stay with me for just a second because if you don't hear this out completely, you're going to think I'm making a blasphemous statement, but I'm not. God's love was not enough to save us. His justice required a payment for our sins. God couldn't just say, I love you. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Oh, no, 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 no. Justice still demands a payment. Fun story. Um, you've seen the new red light cameras that we have here in Honolulu, right? Uh, I received a notice in the mail the other day that a vehicle that is registered in my name ran a red light on Peequoy Street, and they're demanding that I pay the fine. Okay? Now, was it me? No, nope, I got a video and I could show you, but not me. promise you that. Uh, was not me. It was someone in my family that was not my wife. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and there was it down for you a little bit. My wife's testimony. Uh, and so, <coughs> I talked with the offending party. <laughs> I'm going to say they were. I, I spoke with the offending party, and I said, "Hey, first of all, this is super unsafe. Um, you know, people can get hit in the crosswalk. People can die. You can be in an accident." Or it's just a bad testimony. So basically you're blowing through a red light, something like that. You can't do that. We're not in California anymore, okay? Um, <laughs> California, California, you can get away with that. Not in Hawaii. Uh, California, like, when your light turns green, you wait like five seconds and you look like both ways twice, and then you cross. Uh, California's nuts, man. Uh, but, hey, we're not in California anymore. You can't do this. And, and, hey, look, I love you. I'm not mad at you. But you can't drive like this. And, get this. I love you, I forgive you, but the $55, I'm not paying. Just know that, right? Why? Because justice still requires a payment. Oh, you're forgiven. I love you. Uh, I gave the offending party a hug when it was over, right? But there still needs to be a payment made for this, and I'm not making the payment. In the case of God's love for you, he loves you dearly. He's willing to forgive any wrong that you've ever done, regardless of how big or how small it is. No problem. But payment still needs to be made to your account. And for you. See, uh, Christ died for us. Much more than being now, guess what? Justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. And so the justification that Jesus offers 
declares us not only innocent, but also righteous. So again, we're speaking in legal terms. The uh, evidence has been presented. You are guilty. There is no appeal. There is no second chances. The consequences is death and hell. Jesus Christ has stepped forward on your behalf and offered to take the penalty and payment for your sin and pay it in full. And he did that. And the moment that you receive that, the moment that you're saved, God takes your sin record that you have and he does not declare you guilty. He actually declares you righteous. That's, that's better than innocent for those of you that are taking notes here. It's not a matter of like, okay, and here's the other thing about this too. This is super important to understand God's justice. God didn't take your record and dismiss the charges against you. That's important to know. Because had he done that, it'd be like, oh, we're just going to pretend like this didn't happen. We can even expunge your record and speaking in legal terms and, and pretend like this never happened. But that would violate God's justice. Payment has to be made. And so the, the charges were not dismissed. You were found guilty 100%. But the consequences, the sentence that you were handed down was taken on by someone else and his name is Jesus. Which allowed God to declare you and I, if we believe in Jesus, as righteous. You say, but I'm not righteous. Correct. Here's the beauty of justification. My sin was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross and he was punished. Jesus Christ takes his righteousness and places it on me and God looks at me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and says, you are righteous. You are forgiven. You are innocent. And so when I go to heaven and stand before God and receive my judgment for my life, God has no sin on my account because all my sin has been placed on Jesus. Sometimes people get the idea that even Christians, when we go to heaven, there's going to be this big, huge jumbotron up there that shows all the sins that we've done. We've got to sit there and go, oh, man, do we really have to watch this, God? Can you fast forward through this part? This is super embarrassing. That's not going to be the case for Christians. Because all of our sin has been placed under the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's forgiven. Now, you and I, based on how we live our life, will either receive rewards from God or we'll lose rewards that God could offer us. And those rewards are not for us, so we get to put a button on our, 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 uh, you know, our big white robe that we have in heaven as we uh, sing in the heaven's choir. The, the rewards are not for us. The rewards are to offer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hey, God, here's everything that I have to offer for a life that was lived for you. I don't want to stand before God one day and be like, oh, I don't have anything to offer. Like, I wish I had something, but I don't. And I don't want that for you either. I want you to stand before God one day with joy in your heart, knowing that I did my best to, to live for Jesus and to serve Jesus with my life. But you and I are declared righteous before God, but that required a payment. Romans chapter 3, verse number 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. You and I are justified freely. That means, again, our justification isn't based on something that we have earned. I'm not justified because I go to church. And then again, when we talk about justified, we're talking about being declared righteous before God and no longer guilty. My, my sin isn't wiped away because I 
go to church. I'm a good person. I try to do the right thing. I try to, you know, be nice to others. I'm declared righteous freely. I, I didn't earn it. I didn't pay anything for it. But God has chosen to give us his son freely, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation for our sins. I love that, that word propitiation. It's a big, huge theological Bible word, but you need to know what it means because it's super important. The word propitiation means not only a satisfactory payment for your sin, the blood of Christ, but his blood is also a covering for your sin. It harkens back to the Old Testament when sacrifice would be offered to cover the sins of the people. And so when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he shed it as not only a payment in full for my sin and yours, but also a covering for our sin so that when God sees us, he don't, no longer sees our sin, he sees the blood of his son that has covered our sin, and God looks at us and says, righteous. So, when we talk about that, and you and I have been declared righteous, it's not by anything that we have done. Again, the whole chapter 4 of Romans was to tell us that even Abraham, who was like the, the, the Jew of the Jews, right? Father Abraham was not declared righteous, was not justified because of his works. He was declared righteous because of his faith in God. And so this word justification is our legal standing before God. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? If so, you are justified. And God looks at you no longer as a wretched, wicked, awful, pathetic, disgusting sinner. He looks at you and he sees you as a son. He sees you as a daughter. And you have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we're justified, again, by Jesus. No way around that. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're also justified by the blood of Jesus. Since the beginning of time, God has always required a sacrifice for sins. We're going through typology on Sunday nights. If you miss those, you got to get caught up. We've only got three messages so far. Two? Two messages? Three messages. Two. Two messages. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, two messages so far in a typology series. You can get caught up. But we talked about last time, uh, last Sunday night, how God had actually slaughtered an animal to give Adam and Eve coats of skin because they tried to cover their sin with fig leaves, which does not last. And uh, God says, I'm going to sacrifice an innocent animal on your behalf because of your sin. So we see going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God's always required the death of something whenever we sin. And the sacrifice that was required and the bleeding out of an animal uh, and giving its life and, and shedding its blood to cover the sins of the people. Always a blood sacrifice. So here's an interesting thought as well. If Jesus Christ had died of a heart attack, you and I would still be in our sins. Had Jesus died of old age, you and I would be, still be in our sins. Had Jesus gotten cancer, died a slow death, you and I would still be in our sins. He had to suffer, bleed, and die for our sins to make full payment for it. And so we're justified not simply by the death of Christ, but we're justified by the blood of Christ. Again, verse number 9 in our text here. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So this justification, again, and we're justified by Jesus. We're justified by the blood of Jesus. We're justified by faith. Again, verse number 1 in chapter 5 here. 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when it comes to being saved or born again, it's all about Jesus. And the only thing that you can bring to your salvation is your faith and repentance. That's it. That's all God requires of you. I believe it and I want to follow Jesus. That's it. God doesn't expect you. This is super important. God doesn't expect you to clean up your act and then come to him. God will take care of the cleanup effort because he's going to do much better than you could ever possibly do. And here's the the crazy thing. You and I many times think like, I'll I'll get my act together and then I'll come back to God. Okay, I get some things I want to fix in in my life and then I'll come back to a right relationship with God or read my Bible or praying or going to church. Look, you cannot clean up your act apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Like you, you, you need the tools. It's like I'll cut my grass, uh, you know, with my lawnmower when I when I get my yard in order. No, no, you need the lawnmower to get your yard in order. Like you, you can't begin to cut your grass without the tools. You want to clean your life up. You can't do that without the tools that God gives you. So you cannot run from God yet fix your life at the same time. It's just diametrically opposed to one another. So you and I are justified not by cleaning our act up and coming to Jesus. We're justified by faith. We're justified by God's grace. Again, Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. God's grace is God's unmerited favor. You don't deserve it, but God chose to give it to you anyways. That's God's grace. Had the offending party who got a... uh, traffic infraction in my name had i said to them hey this is going to go on my record hey i have to pay a fine for this hey it's in a vehicle that's registered in my name hey this was super uh irresponsible of you but here's a hundred dollar bill go get something good to eat for for dinner tonight you'd be like that doesn't make sense (laughs) right God says to you, hey, you sinned against me. Hey, you've broken my law. Hey, you can't keep one of the Ten Commandments. Hey, you've been running from me. Hey, when you're given the opportunity to choose your way or my way, you choose your way. Hey, I think I'm going to give you forgiveness and eternal life through my son, who I'm going to put to death, who's done nothing. You'd be like, ah, I don't deserve that. Right, that's why it's grace. Believe it or not, here's the, the crazy thing about grace. And again, we, we have songs upon songs about the grace of God because it's, it's like nothing you've ever experienced before. It defies human logic and reasoning. And there have been so many people who I've sat and I've talked through the gospel with. And again, over the course of my lifetime, I've had the opportunity to sit down with thousands of people and talk about their faith and the gospel and encourage people to come to Jesus. And I sit down and talk with some people and they say, well, I just, I can't wrap my brain around the idea that I can't earn this. I can't do anything to get this. You, but it's grace. I know, but I, I don't deserve God's grace. <laughs> That's why it's called grace. If you could earn it, we would call it merit. We're not saved, justified by merit. If we did, then we're going to have to compare who's better, who's done enough, who's good enough, who's, who's stayed on the path long enough because it's going to be based on merit. We're justified freely by faith, by the grace of God. And here's another good thing uh, to, to put in your hat as well. If you are saved by the grace of God, you are also kept by the grace of God. Amen. Paul says we don't begin in the, the, the spirit and then maintain in the flesh. 
It's not a matter of, okay, I got saved, now I got to make sure I live right so that I can keep my salvation. No, no, no. Either it's God doing the work or you're doing the work. God doesn't want to share credit for your salvation. God says, I've done all the work. I've sacrificed my only son. All I need you to do is receive it. Okay, God, I want to add something to it. God's like, no, don't add anything to it because when you add something to it, you're going to ruin it. Just receive it. And so we don't receive God's gift of salvation and then work really hard to make sure that we can keep that gift. Make sure that, that nobody takes away from us or that we don't lose it in, by, by sinning too much. No, no. We receive it by grace. We're saved by grace. And we're kept until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit of God, which is given to us, which is given to us by the grace of God. It all comes back to God's grace. And so we can't, you know, receive it by grace and then maintain it by our works. It, it's received by grace and we're kept by grace. So, again, we're never, ever, 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 ever under any circumstances whatsoever justified by our works. <clears throat> Every other religion in the world, aside from true biblical Christianity, is in some measure a religion based on works. Even if you take things like, like Buddhism, uh, you know, the energy you put out into the universe is uh, going to come back to you and things like that. All that, put out good stuff, you'll get good stuff back. So I'm going to work really hard to put out the good stuff and limit the bad stuff so that maybe I can get enough good stuff coming back to me. Maybe I won't be reincarnated, uh, something along those lines. And then the, the question always is, and again, this goes for, for people who think that they're Christians but are actually following a works-based salvation. The question is always, have I done enough? Well, if i got to be a good person to get to heaven, have I been good enough? I mean, there's obviously people that are better than me, but there's obviously people that are worse than me. So have I done enough? Did I, did I make it over the finish line? And, and again, living a life not knowing for sure if your salvation is secure or not is not a life that's a spirit of fear. It's going to have a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you're going to heaven or not, or think that you're going to heaven, or hope that you've done enough to go to heaven, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, even to them that believe on his name. 1 John 5, 13, if you're taking notes. God wants you to be 100% certain that you are saved, that you've been born again, that you are on your way to heaven, because it's not by your works. Again, if you ask me if I'm going to heaven based on what I have done, what's the criteria? Well, you have to be a good person. Who determines good? What is good? God's rules? I can't do that. Never sinned again? I can't do that. What do I have to do? Not based on merit, not based on works. And again, any religion that asks you to do works to be saved is a works-based religion that is not the true gospel. The whole book of Galatians, the entire book, was written to a group of churches that had been duped by false teaching. Okay, it's good that you're following after Jesus, but you got to make sure that you maintain all of the Old Testament law as well. Well, well I'm a, a, a Roman guy that just got saved. That's fine. You need to be circumcised. Well, Romans don't practice circumcision. Oh, you're a follower of Jesus? Followers of Jesus have to keep the entire Old Testament law. What are you guys doing for the Day of Atonement Feast? Well, we don't really celebrate that. We're Greeks. Well, you've got to celebrate that if you call yourself a Christian because Christianity is just a bolt-on to Judaism. And you've got to make sure that you're doing all the religious works of the Old Testament so that you can really be saved. And Paul's just like, uh-uh, time out. Nope. And Paul writes a blistering letter to the churches in the Galatian region 
letting them know. This is one of Paul's only letters that he writes the church, to the church of Galatia. Well, there's not a word of, of commendation. There's not a word of greeting. Like, hey, greetings and grace and peace be on you from the Apostle Paul, right? And you from, from prison, you know? Never, ever, ever, always immediately from in the very beginning of the opening of the letter, I am shocked that you have so quickly given up on Jesus and have given yourself over to a false gospel. <laughs> right from the very beginning. And it's just this scathing, blistering letter of you just need Jesus, stop with all the other nonsense. And so again, a church that says, okay, you, you follow Jesus, that's good. You got to be baptized too, to go to heaven. You got to be baptized to be justified because that baptism is going to wash your sins away. Time out. That's a work now that I have to do to try to receive God's forgiveness as opposed to receiving it by grace. You've got to be saved and put your faith in Jesus. That's good. But you've got to you know, make sure that you continue your church attendance because when you fall off, you're going to lose your salvation. That's a, a system of works where now my, uh, my eternity, my justification, my standing before God is now based upon my church attendance. That, that, that's crazy. I was at the uh, airport um, last year and I was uh, sitting there and uh, I sat down and I got myself and I, I was early because I'm, I'm absolutely terrified of being late to the airport and missing my flight. Uh, so I get there early. I sit down, and um, I get my, my bag ready. And I'm an introvert by nature. And so when I get to, like, a place where I can just sit, it's just like me, like, zoned out. Uh, and so I sit down. I open up my bag. I grab my headphones. And I got one uh, earbud in this room. And I'm getting ready to put the other one in. And the, the guy sitting next to me, I feel him watching me. Have you ever been there before? Introverts know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, please don't talk to me. Please don't talk to me. Please don't talk to me. Uh, and he's staring at me. And I'm just getting ready to put the other one in. And he's like, hey, how's it going? And I was just like, and I pulled the other one out. And I turn around, and it's a dude in a, a white short sleeve shirt with a black tie on and a placard on his, his, his pocket. And he's, he's like, oh, you know, it's just like, Elder Smith. Elder Smith, pleasure to meet you. He's like, oh. You're traveling for business or pleasure? I said, a little bit of both today. I said, I got some things I got to wrap up, but also going to spend some time with my family. And he's like, oh, that's great. How about you? And he was like, I'm traveling on the Lord's business. Really? Man, tell me all about that. And so he begins to tell me a story and stuff like that. And I said, hey, man, if, if I want to go to heaven, what do I have to do? Oh, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and his payment that he made for my sins and yours on the cross of Calvary and put your full faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ for payment for your sins. Huh, I've done that. I think I'm good. Oh, but then you also got to be baptized. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got, I got baptized too, so I think I'm good there. Well, actually, you have to be baptized in a church with the restored gospel. Oh, tell me what that means. So the gospel was lost for almost, you know, 1800 years until joseph smith rediscovered it uh in with an angel uh, in the forest it was written on golden tablets and he decoded it with a secret hat uh that he used to to decode the gospel that had been lost and so i said so from the time of the apostles to the time of joseph smith nobody had access to the gospel no it was lost that's terrible isn't it it really is no what's terrible is god promised to preserve his word into every generation and God broke his promise. God's a liar. And he goes, I, I, I didn't say that. No, 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 you, you did. You said that God didn't keep his word because it got lost. And if God didn't preserve his word, what kind of God is that worth following if he can't even keep his own promises? 
And he sits there for a minute, and he looks at me, and he's like, well, well anyways. Uh, <laughs> okay. And so I said, well, I got baptized at Walnut Street Baptist Church in Benton, Kentucky. I said, does that church have the restored gospel? No, it doesn't. Uh, okay. Um, I, I attended Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster, California. Did they have the restored gospel? No, they didn't. I currently uh, attend a, a church in town that's a Baptist church. Do they have the gospel, the, the restored gospel? They don't. Can you, is there like an app where you can download to find churches that actually have the restored gospel? Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay, so leave in Jesus, and I have to be baptized in your church to get to heaven. Well, our church or any church with the restored gospel. But that's only your church. Right. So your church is the only way to heaven. And he goes, yeah, got it. And I go, do you think that Jesus is a liar? And he goes, oh, of course not. He's a, he's a son of God. He couldn't lie. Well, when Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why didn't he add his church in there too? If your church is the only way to heaven, why didn't Jesus say, the only way to heaven is through me and the restored gospel church? Well, well Jesus says, I'll build my church. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. And he sits there for a minute, and he says, well, I just know that you need to be baptized to go to heaven in a church with a restored gospel. Okay, said, if anybody comes, and if it be an angel from heaven, let that man be accursed. It means that let that guy go to hell, is what, what Paul says. But you got your gospel from an angel in the forest. How, how do you connect those two? And he was like, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, what do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a pastor. <laughs> and so he began to go on. It's, it's not another gospel. It's, it's a continuation of the gospel and all this other stuff. And so it was a big, long conversation. But here's the thing. He had boiled it down that the only way that you could get to heaven was through the Mormon church. That right there is a works-based religion, 100%. Not to mention all the 9,000 other things that, that the uh, LDS church has wrong. Um, but that's just a, a sliver of it. So, again, just because, and, and again, I said, I'm a Christian. He's like, I am too. You're not. No, I am. You're not. I promise you you're not. Um, because if you believe that salvation is found in Jesus plus the baptism of a church, you are not a Christian. Just by definition. And so, again, people might call themselves something, but that doesn't mean that they are. Uh, again, for people asking, you know, what do you believe? I'm a Bible-believing, born-again Christian. Uh, it kind of narrows it down. Uh, and, and so, but we're justified, declared righteous, not by our works, not by things that we have done, but by the work that Jesus Christ has done. If you believe that your salvation is based on both faith and works, you are not genuinely saved. If you're trusting in Jesus plus anything well i'm trusting in jesus because my mom told me one time that i got saved and i don't really remember what happened but my mom told me who i was i would not put my faith in your mom well you know my mom is a good godly woman and i'm sure that she is but when can you imagine standing before god one day and going is my mom in here anywhere because she told me that i was going to be able to come can, can you get her right quick no no you will stand before god alone 
And either your name will be found written in the book of life or it will not. You can't appeal. Uh, you can't get your mama to talk, talk God out of anything. Uh, I would want my faith to be secure in the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that's circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Paul says this. If you think that circumcision is taking you to heaven, Jesus Christ is of no value to you. That's what he says. And, and insert circumcision for baptism or church attendance or how much money you gave or being a good person, something like that. If you think that those things are of value to you, then Jesus Christ has no effect. Paul's saying. And then he goes on and says, Christ profits you nothing, for I testify to every man that is circumcised. Like, hey, if you're going to keep the law by being circumcised, you're a debtor to the whole law. Don't just take circumcision. Let's take everything else too. Hey, don't just take circumcision. Let's take all of the other Levitical law, the nuances of the law and things like that. Paul's saying you can't pick and choose which parts you want to obey the law because if, you're, if it's going to be circumcision, it has to be everything else too. And here's what he says. Christ has become of no effect to you, you that are justified by the law. So again, if you can work your way to heaven, you don't need Jesus. And if you don't need Jesus, let me tell you this, you are as lost as a June Easter egg, like lost, lost, lost. And so if you don't have Jesus, you're not saved. And Paul's saying, hey, if you're hanging on to your works that you do, thinking that's going to earn you eternal life, Jesus Christ has no value to you. If you're justified, if you're declared righteous by the law, keeping the rules, then here's what he says here, ye are fallen from grace. Now, Really important to understand the term fallen from grace. It does not mean that you've lost your salvation. It does not mean that you once had the gift of salvation and now God took it back from you. It meant that grace was offered to you and you turned it away. That's what the word fallen from grace means. It means you have chosen to push away the grace of God because you want to hang on to your own works that you can do, your own righteousness. So Paul says, my righteousness that I stand in is not of myself or the works of my flesh. My righteousness is in Jesus Christ alone. And so you and I are justified by faith, by grace, through the blood of Jesus Christ. So take a look at Romans chapter 5 again. I love this, but God, verse number 8, Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than... Being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I love that phrase at the beginning of verse number nine, much more than. As if Jesus Christ dying for you as a sinner was not enough. On top of that, God has chosen to declare you righteous and to also withhold his wrath from you. So when we use the term saved, what are we exactly saved from? So sometimes people ask that. I remember as a kid um, going to, uh, to church as a kid, and my dad would often pray at our Wednesday night services that we had. And uh, my dad was first-generation Christian. He was just trying to do his best. And it kind of got to the point where I knew exactly my dad's prayer that he prayed every single week because he prayed the exact same one. 
Um, and so, uh, again, he was just trying his best, and, and I, I respect my dad so much for that. He's one of, one of my heroes. I wouldn't be standing here today if it weren't for my dad uh, and his influence in my life. So, uh, but I remember his prayer that he would pray. He would pray every single Wednesday night. And Lord, we pray for those that are wondering out there lost that they will be found before it's too late. And I remember in my mind thinking to myself, there's people that are out wandering in the woods out there and they don't have a compass and they ran out of water and they don't have a map and like we need to like go out there and find them. Like where are they at? And so in my mind I'm thinking there are people that are literally like lost, like wandering around uh, and they need to be found before it's too late. And so one Wednesday night I was asking my dad, Dad, can we go find those people that are lost? And he was just like, what are you talking about? It's like, every week you pray for the people that are lost that we would find them before it's too late. Like, let's go looking for them. He's just like, oh, it's not like that. Oh, okay. Um, and then I grow up, and then I understand the Bible, and I understand the Great Commission, and I realize it's exactly like that. Like, there are people wandering around this city that are lost, and we need to find them and bring them to Jesus before it's too late. And so, um, but like, lost and saved, use the term saved, like, do I need to be saved? Do I need salvation? Do I need a savior? What are we saved from? John chapter 5, verse number 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John 5, 24 is in your notes there. It's really important because he says this, and shall not come into condemnation. You know what that means? Condemnation, get this, stay with me. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. Justification is you have been declared righteous. Condemnation is you have been declared guilty as charged. And the penalty of your sin is 100% on you. But here's the, the thing. If you and I have received eternal life, the Bible says that there will never come into condemnation. Again, this is another verse that speaks to the eternal security of the believer. You can't be declared righteous on Monday and then be declared guilty again on Tuesday for the exact same charges. You just can't. And, and how, how flip-flop would God have to be to be like, on Monday, you're, you're righteous. On Wednesday, you're, you're under condemnation and wrath, and you're unrighteous. Oh, back on Friday again, you're righteous again. And, and to go back and forth, there would be no peace in a relationship like that. God gives us everlasting life. It's good for how long? Eternity, everlasting. God's declared us righteous, and we will now never come back into condemnation because we have eternal life through the Son and so we're saved from death. We're saved from God's judgment. Romans 8, 1, There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Get that, Romans 8, 1. No condemnation. None. John chapter 3, verse number 18, right after John 3, 16, is verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus says, if you believe on me, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, you're not condemned. But for those who have never put their faith in me, they're condemned already. And so you've already been declared guilty. You've already been sentenced to death. And the only way that you can avoid that is to be declared righteous by God. And when you and I are saved, we're saved from eternal death. We're saved from God's judgment. And we're saved from God's wrath. Again, verse number nine, much more than being not justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath 
through him. Also John 3:36 he that believeth on the son hath life ever, hath everlasting life he that believeth not on the son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him John 3:36 is really clear I love this it's it's very black and white Hey if you if have you been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again sometimes people are like mm, I'm not really sure about that I, I don't I don't know for sure if I've ever been born again good the bible's really clear you haven't Now sometimes people have made a commitment to Christ. They didn't know what that was. They've been born again. They don't understand uh, the terminology and things like that. But again, here's, this is important for me when I talk to people about faith. I always use Bible terms. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? I'm not really sure. Well, let's take a look at what the Bible says about being saved or born again. I never ask, have you asked Jesus into your heart? I never ask, you know, do you, are you a Christian? Anybody who, do, who believes in God automatically assumes that they are a Christian. Doesn't mean that they're a Christ follower. Doesn't mean that they've been born again. And so when I'm talking about people with faith, I always ask, have you been saved or have you been born again? They say, I don't really know what that means. If you died today, are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? Because born-again Christians do. And so being saved from wrath. Hey, the Bible says, John 3, 36, he that hath the Son hath everlasting life. He that hath not the Son hath not everlasting life, and the wrath of God abides on him. So not only do you have eternal death, you also have God's punishment coming for all of eternity. But the beauty is that we're not just saved from a future coming judgment, although that's the case for salvation. We're also saved to a new life. It's not a matter of like, oh, uh, I get to go to heaven one day and that's kind of the end of it. No, no, no. You are saved to live a new life in Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse number 9, I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. But the thief cometh not, but for one reason, to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Jesus came to give you a more abundant life. Now, here's the, 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 the tragedy of this beautiful promise that Jesus gives. It has been twisted, taken out of context, and misapplied to mean that God wants you to be rich. God wants to give you health, wealth, prosperity. Jesus came to give you an abundant life, so you need to go buy that new car you've been looking at. You need to put down a down payment on that new house that you're looking at. You need to pray your kids into a better school because God wants to give you an abundant life. That's not what this verse means. It means that Jesus wants to give you something that you've never had apart from him, and that is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faith, and temperance, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, which you don't have access to before. When you have those things, your life is automatically more abundant, guaranteed. Man, I could be living in a cardboard box under the freeway and have ridiculous joy because of who Jesus is. I'm not blessed because of a number in my bank account. I'm not blessed because the type of car that I drive. Those, that's foolishness. God is not an idol giver. God doesn't give you things that you'll, so that you'll put your, your hope and dreams in them. God wants you to put your hope and dreams into him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 3, among whom also we had our conversation. That word conversation means the way that you lived your life in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of, of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, get this, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, 
hath quickened us. That word quickened means made alive. Hath made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God picked you up out of the mess that you were in. He made you alive. He breathed into your spirit the breath of life. And you were made alive together, not with me or someone else, but made alive together with Jesus Christ. What a gift. So you don't have to wait till you die to cash in on your benefits of people. They go, well, I got saved, and so I guess I'll just wait around until I die on life here. I get to live a brand new life now. Imagine going forward in life not being held down by the weight of my own sin, by the guilt and shame of all the wrong that I've done. Now I have a life where I'm free to live for God ever how I want to. And so Jesus, he tells us, saves us. And so being saved is not just, oh, well, I get to go to heaven. No, no, no. We're saved from death, judgment, wrath, and we're saved to live a new life. Now, when it comes to God's wrath, Jesus is the only Without Jesus, there is no hope other than God's punishment. And so, verse number nine, much more than being now justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. Someone must bear responsibility for absolving God's judgment on sin. Somebody has to do that. Again, somebody has to die. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5, mortify means put to death. Therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for the which things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which you also walked in some time wherein ye lived in them. Hey, God's wrath is coming for the children of disobedience. Who's that? It's for everybody who doesn't know Jesus. Because get this, when we become saved, when we've been born again, we're adopted into the family of God. We become his sons, we become his daughters. All those who aren't are still the children of wrath, the children of disobedience, and upon them comes the wrath of God. So there's only two places the wrath of God can go. God, God doesn't just cut it off, like, oh, no more wrath, you're good. No, God's wrath must be placed somewhere. Either it will be placed on you in hell for all of eternity, or it can be placed on the cross of Jesus Christ where it has already been paid in full. But those are your only two choices. I don't really know if I want to follow after Jesus. Okay, then you're taking 100% of wrath on you. 100%. Well, I'll believe in Jesus a little bit if that'll get me away from God's wrath and, you know, I'll continue to do my own thing. No, no, no. You can't take a little bit of Jesus to absolve a little bit of wrath. You either make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior or you don't. And if you don't, 100% of wrath is on you. But again, God does not want to give you his wrath. He doesn't want it. The Bible says that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's not a God who delights. It's like, yes, I get to pour out wrath today. I think, I, I assume based on the character of God, that God is like, I've given every opportunity, and I've even given my own son, and they still choose to reject and rebel. I have no choice but to pour out wrath. And so, when it comes to God's justice, a, a price must be paid. 
when Jesus has offered up his life as an atoning sacrifice to take our wrath upon himself. Again, God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I love what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That idea of wake or sleep means to, to live or to die. And so in this case here, again, this is really important. He's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so, again, it's an either or. Either I obtain eternal life in Jesus Christ or I get wrath. But again, he, this verse here is so critical for you and I to understand. We cannot lose our salvation. You know why? Because God has not appointed you to wrath, but to eternal life through his son. And so it's not like you, you, you get the son, you know, this week, but next week you might get wrath. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you never know what God's going to do, right? I mean, you might step over that imaginary line where you lose your salvation. Now God has no choice but wrath. No, no, no. God has not appointed you to wrath, but to eternal life through his son. You and I will never see wrath because I got my wrath that was coming for me with my name on it was put upon Jesus on the cross and it has been paid in full. God, ha get this, God has no more wrath for me or for you if you're his child. He's got nothing left to give. It's all been placed upon Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus said, it is finished, it is paid in full and he is the propitiation for our sins and not our sins only but the sins of the whole world. And so, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he hath raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Man, I deserve punishment, and you do too, but God has chosen to give us grace. I, I got to ask you this before we're done. If you, if you call yourself a Christian and a child of God, are you living that new life now? Because here's, here would be the worst thing ever that could happen. You sin, you rebel against God, you do all these awful things, and God places your sin upon Jesus Christ and punishes Jesus for your sins, and you receive that grace and you're cleansed from sin. But then you decide to go back to that same sin that got you in the mess to begin with. You go back to that same sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross. You go back to that sin and continue to play around, and God's just like, oh, we'll get to this in Romans chapter 6. I've already set you free from that. Why are you going back there again? And so, Christian, are you living that new life are you living the winning side doesn't mean that everything in your life is going right the winning ever happens in life you're going to win guaranteed are you living that victorious life that jesus came are you living that abundant christian life if not god has saved you for so much more than to just sit in your sin god has saved you for so much more than to just sit and wait for him to come back for you and start living for him today it'll be the best decision you've ever made and you'll have joy untold but for those who might be here today that have never been saved or born again, friends, you need to be saved. God's punishment's coming for you. You don't want it. You want the everlasting life that comes through his son, Jesus. And it's offered to you freely today. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart.
join us this Sunday. You belong here.